Welcome to the Church at the Springs podcast. The Springs exist to lead our generation to God and connect people to a community of Christ followers who change their world. To learn more about us, visit thesprings.net. We hope you enjoy the message. Today we remember the death and burial of Jesus and the price that was paid. But we celebrate that he rose from the dead and he is alive today. And that's the living hope. He says, I'm, I'm gonna walk with you now, no matter what you carry, where your heart is. I, he said, I'll never leave you. That's the promise uh, uh, of God to every believer. And I, I wanna say, if you're new to the Springs, maybe you're here for the first time I met a lot of people after the last service that are new or second time. And man, we are so glad you're here. We want to welcome you, and that we we would love to connect with you. And the, the, one of the best ways and easiest ways is this card, the connect card that was on your seat. And if you kind of grab that, and and I want to ask that you would sometime during the service, whether you're a first time guest or you've been around for a decade, uh, use this card, fill it out, and you can drop it in the basket as the ushers hold that as you leave the service later. But this, this is a great place to write out prayer requests and take next steps and, and just ask questions and great place to connect. And so everybody kind of find that and fill it out. There was a pen on every seat. And, uh, and you know, we're, we're wrapping up this series uh, one at a time. And we started out this series talking about how Jesus had this uncanny ability in the midst of a crowd with hundreds or thousands of people to zoom in on one life, to just draw a bead on one life and everybody else blurred out because he saw a need and he, he moved in. And that, that's the Jesus way of living. And that's the challenge for each of us. And, and we talked about the proximity principle the second week and that's basically that uh, no one's in your life by accident. And that, that God places people around us in seasons and times of our life. And then last week, my friend Tim Selleck was with us and he powerfully reminded us to pray, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. And last weekend, uh, over 20 people committed their life to Jesus at the Springs. Is that, 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 that their story, God now is rewriting their story. And, and, you know, and every story's better when Jesus is in it. And every life is better when Jesus is leading it. And, you know, the, I, I've loved the stories that we've heard from groups. We've had over 400 people engaged in groups during this series and continue to on Monday and Tuesday nights here. And, uh, it, but stories, stories are powerful. Because stories have a way of moving our hearts. And I see that every week because, you know, I mean, there are sometimes, I mean, honestly, when I'm teaching and I'm looking out and I realize that in some of those moments, I'm enjoying my teaching way more than some of you are, right? It's like, because I see the, you know, it's like the, you know, just disengage or maybe you look at your watch and say, is Ron five minutes over today? What? I, you know, you, you just, and, and what I realized is, okay, in that moment, I need to tell a story because if I tell a story, everybody leans in. 
That stories are powerful and they have a way of drawing you in. And, you know, matter of fact, let me tell you a story. It was 1985. There was a lady named Christine Talladay. She was a, a, a single pregnant mom. And she did the, made the gut-wrenching decision to give her child up for adoption. And his name was Steve. And so 22 years pass. Steve is now in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he works at a Lowe's store. And he's been, you know, half-heartedly kind of looking for, I mean, I'd like to find my birth mom. And, and so he started searching. And then one day he went to the adoption agency uh, that placed him and, and, and did a search and he found her. And her name is Christine Talladay. And then he said, she lives a mile away from the Lowe's that I work in. And so he got to work the next day and he told his boss, uh, he said, hey, I found my birth mom. And she, she her name's Christine Talladay and she lives a mile away from this store. And his boss stopped and said, could, could that be Chris Talladay, who's the head cashier here? And he went, what? They had worked together for months. They knew each other, but they didn't know each other as mother and son. And so the adoption agency made the introduction and well, here, here's a picture of them in their Lowe's uniforms, right? It's like, how cool is that story? That, and now they're catching up and they're, you know, finding out things that they like to do and spending time together. And, and you know, I mean, honestly, I could have just said, made this statement. You know, there's nothing greater than a bond between a mother and her child. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, that's true. Or, you know, could have said, hey, uh, all of us at times feel a little bit like an orphan. Like we're, we want to be loved and we want to be seen and we want to be found. Go, yeah, yeah. Or I could have just told you a story. You see, when I made those two statements, what I noticed is that nobody in the room went, oh, like you did with the story. Because a story captures your heart. It makes you lean in. See, information may or may not change your mind, but stories always change your heart. And Jesus knew that. That is why he taught using stories. We know them as parables, but it's just the, the, the stories that he told. And, you know, often if you look in scripture, you'll see this too, that times that Jesus is teaching, uh, he, he probably looks at the room and realizes that, you know, the gathering and says, you know, they, they don't get it. They're not getting it. And then he goes to a story because he's trying to capture their heart and he knows they're going to lean in and listen. And that's what I want to talk about. One of those stories as we close out this series today. It's the most famous story in scripture. It's a good Samaritan. And it was in Luke chapter 10. If you got your Bibles, you can go there. If you got your Bible app, if you bring that up, uh, it, these notes on the screen will be on your phone, and, but they'll also be up here. But the, the Good Samaritan is really a story about how we should treat other people. But more than that, it's about how we should treat people that are different than us. And 
And so let me kind of take you there. Luke 10, verse 25, set up the story. Jesus, it says uh, in verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Let me just say this. He, he's testing Jesus. He's an expert in religious law. That means that uh, he has studied all of his life. He knows, he has a lot of information, but the information never did 13 inch journey to his heart. And so he's, he's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to discredit Jesus in public. So, and then he says, he, he, but by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, that, that just, you know, that for him, he was trying to set up an argument. He was trying to set up Jesus to look foolish. And, and you know, when you think about it, when, when you have someone in your life who uh, is argumentative or combative or people that, that disagree with you and you disagree with them and you, I mean, when, that, when they say something combative to you, what do you do? What do we, I mean, our normal response is, well, we get defensive or we just serve it right back to them. Or maybe we make a statement or an accusation. And, but, the, you know, then the question is, does that help? No, no. It's like throwing a grenade into the room. You know, it's like lighting a fire. I mean, it, 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 it just makes the situation worse. But what does Jesus do? He asks the question. Look at this. Jesus replied to his question with a question. Jesus said, what does the law of Moses say? How, how do you read it? I mean, how do you interpret it? What do you hear? And the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, right, that's the right answer. If you do this, you will live. He was saying, if you do this, you will have eternal life. And, and, you know, when he said that, he basically summed, it's a summary of the Old Testament laws. And really, he was repeating what he learned from a childhood. It was the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's like, you get it. It's like, they got, it was just rote. It just came out. And, and then, uh, now, I don't know if, when you read that, did you notice what Jesus did not say? He didn't say anything about faith. He didn't say anything about belief. He didn't say anything about repentance. But are those essential for salvation and a relationship with Jesus today? Yes, absolutely. But what he was saying was, do you love God perfectly with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your... Every day, 100%, 24-7, do you love God perfectly? And do you love your neighbor as yourself the same way, perfectly? And we don't. We're not perfect. He's saying, are you perfect? No. And so what it means is that if you were perfect, then there would be no need for faith or belief or repentance. But we're not. And that dawns on this guy. He's like, oh no, I'm not perfect. So now he's figuring out, I got to find a loophole. And, and then in verse 29, it says, the man wanted to justify his actions. And he asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? 
He said, Jesus said, you need to love people. And he said, okay, uh, can you define people for me? Like he's looking for who do I not have to love? All right, that, he's got the, this loophole. And yet to the listeners of the story, the Jewish people listening, it was like in the first century, their neighbor would be other Jewish people who believed what they believed and lived like they lived and were like them. To the Gentiles, it would be, their neighbor would be other Gentiles. To the Samaritans, their neighbor would have been other Samaritans. People that were just like them. And so then Jesus answered his question with a story. Why? Because he wasn't getting it. By that question, Jesus knew no, he doesn't get it. So he goes to a story. And the story, he said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. I mean, that, the, this story, there's three people in it. There's a priest, there's a Levite or a temple assistant, and there's a Samaritan. The, those three people and each one of them had a different response to what they saw with a man beaten, stripped naked, bleeding out, half dead on the road that they were walking down. Wait a second, they each had a different response. And I know in a lot of times the parables, of those of you, if you read parables, you know, okay, who am I in this parable? How, you kind of figure out who's God, who's me, what. But this one, I think we're all three of these people at different times and different places and different situations. There are three responses when a need crosses your path, when you see somebody in need, three responses that we take. And the first guy, the first one's a priest. And you think, man, it's a priest. He's going to help, right? That, that, by chance, by chance. Oh, this is good. By chance, a priest comes along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. He, he didn't even break stride. I mean, he's walking and saw it, and then it was, he just kept on walking. I mean, he wasn't even going to pay attention. He's like, oh, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact, right? That... That in what that response is, that is, I see it, but I'm going to keep my distance. I mean, we all know this one. I, hey, I, I don't have time for this. I, I'm not the right person. I haven't been trained in this. I really can't help. I don't know what to say. I don't want to get involved. That's, that's where he's at. I saw this one played out last Saturday night. We went, some of our family went to a, a magic game. Be, it was Rourke, our grandson's eighth birthday, and he wanted to go to a magic game, and he never thought it would ever happen, but we all pulled together, and it was Teddy and I, and Jacob and Anita, and, and Luke, and five grandchildren, all eight and under. They, now, it would have been a much better time had the magic won, but... Uh, but we did, we had a blast, we had fun. And then, and the game was over. Everybody made a mad dash. I mean, you got thousands of people coming out of the Amway center and pouring out and we're all trying to get to our cars so we don't get caught in all the traffic. And, and so here we are, all of us, five of us and five grandchildren. And we're, we're going through the sea of humanity moving down the sidewalk. 
And there, right as you get out of the arena, there was a guy holding a sign. And everybody, I mean, everybody was just plowing by him. And we, we, we got near the parking garage and we turned around and said, where's Anita, where's Rourke? Where's Teddy? We, we, we lost him in this crowd, we lost him. And, and then a few minutes later, they come walking up and they tell us what happened. They said, Rourke walked by that man and he looked at his mom and said, I have some money. And she went, okay. And then Teddy snapped this picture. As Rourke went back to the man and gave him money. And Anita asked him, Rourke, how much did you give him? He said, well, I got $22 for my birthday, so I gave him 11. And now, now okay, that was a powerful reminder, but it was a very convicting moment for me because I walked by. I didn't even break stride. I was, uh, and I'm a pastor, okay? I was like the priest in this story. And I feel the heaviness. Listen, don't get self-righteous. You do it all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not resigning or anything over this. It's just, but we, we're, we're all of these people in different times and places. And, and, you know, so then think about that priest. I want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, right? You can take a picture off guys. Uh, I, I want to, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want to, you know, because he's, he's probably on his way to lead religious services in, in, in those days that, the priest had to go through a seven-day purification process before they could lead a service. And if he stopped and he touched somebody who was unclean, then it would negate that. And you have to go back and get, go through another seven-day purification process, which means he would miss the 1030 service. <laughs> right? That, so I, I get that. And, and, you know, and we don't do that that seven day thing anymore. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I took a shower before I came today, but that was the extent of it. And we, but here's the thing. We all do this at some level in our lives every day. We, the, the way we practice, we, we keep relationships superficial, surface. We, that way we don't have to get involved. We don't have to know the pain or the hurts of people. And I think that's one of the reasons people, even in the church, keep a distance. And because we're like, okay, we like to be in a crowd, but I don't want to step into a community. We, we like to be in rows, but man, if you get in a circle, you have to be known and know people. And you're doing life with people. And it's safer not to. That's what we think. And, but I think that if we knew the needs that sit in this room, we would all, we would all be shocked. You just have to read the prayer requests 
15 pages of prayer requests to know what sits in here. And I tell you, my heart gets heavy when I do that because I'm like, God, what are we missing? But yet we keep superficial, but that's not the Jesus way. And then then we, we, we take that a step further today we say, you know what, I'm not going to be in a room. I'm going to be on a screen and I'm going to watch from home because the screen will never ask anything of me. And, and that way I'm not going to be engaged and know people and, and it's convenient. And don't get me wrong, I love technology and I'm really thankful for it that we be able to like when we're out of town or somebody's sick at home and go, but, it, but it, and, and if you're watching, I love you. Uh, <laughs> But I'm glad you're here. But the church is life on life. The body of believers is living life together. It's like when we do that, that's, that's when we step into the Jesus way. And that's the way he created us and designed us and wants us to. But then you got the, you got the priest and you got the temple assistant comes along. Temple assistant Levite, he, he walked over and he looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. <laughs> this guy's even worse because he walks over to him, looks at him and goes, whew, that must have hurt, and then walks off. <laughs> he looked at him, man. He was like, he said, you know what? Hey, I mean, he sees this guy. He's beaten, naked, bloody. You know what his response was? His response was, I'm curious. I'm going to go take a look, but I'll let someone else do something. Someone else will be coming along. I'm, I'm, I'm following the priest. We got important things to do. And, and so, you know, this psychologists call this the bystander effect. And that term came up because they're, they're trying to understand this phenomenon in culture today that Crowds of people witness and oftentimes record something tragic happening, but they don't do anything. And uh, probably one especially disturbing example of that was the story of a photojournalist, Kevin Carter, who in 1993 won the Pulitzer Prize for a picture he took in Sudan. And in the midst of a famine and starvation and people dying everywhere, the pain he snapped a picture of a little girl who was nothing but skin and bones and was starving to death and she collapsed on her way to a feeding area. And right behind her was a vulture sitting there waiting for her to die. And the the story is told that he actually waited 20 minutes before he took the picture because he wanted the vulture to spread its wings because he thought it would be a better picture. And when he didn't, he just snapped the picture. And, and then after the picture, he chased the vulture away. And, uh, but when the picture came up for the Pulitzer Prize, people started asking the question, what happened to the little girl? I mean, did you get her to the feeding area? I mean, do you know what what happened to her? And his answer was, I don't know what happened to the little girl. 
I didn't do anything. I, I was there to take pictures. And I mean, and, and you think, what, how do you do that? How do you, how do you do that? He tried to explain in, in, in all the arguments about it. That, hey, listen, you don't understand. There's pain and suffering everywhere. There, there was thousands of little girls just like her. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to change anything. I mean, but that's when you kind of, don't we do that though? Oh, listen, the problem's so big. I can't do anything. It's beyond me. I don't have the resources. I don't have knowledge, but, but, but you could do something for one. I mean, that, that's that whole do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. Could you imagine? Think about the multiplication of that, the ripple of that. If thousands of us this week did for the one that God has put in proximity in our life, we just cared, we just loved them, we just met a need in their life. It would think about thousands of people doing that this next week. It would be a media frenzy. Because what's happening? Why are people doing this? It's the Jesus way. And, and then, uh, you know, so I, I think oftentimes we, we, we forget that we're called to be first responders to people in need. And we settle to become curious bystanders. And, and, and that's when your heart grows when you get involved. You know, remember we said, front end of the series, it was God let us see people the way Jesus sees people. Because when we see people the way Jesus sees people in our world, it'll change the way you treat them every time. And that's, a, that's the heart transformation, what takes place. And so, so th- those are the first two guys. The third guy is the Samaritan. And, uh, and you know, it, with uh, verse 33, it says, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, Jesus is about ready to make the Samaritan the hero of the story to a bunch of Jewish listeners. I mean, that would be like, <laughs> that would be like honoring a Republican at the Democratic National Convention, right? <laughs> It was like, what? Why are we doing that? Because the, the Samaritans were never the heroes. The Jewish people were the heroes, right? And, that, and so he, he says, uh, you know, he felt compassion. And that, his response was this one. I see it and I have to do something because compassion moves you to do something. It's a, it's a, compassion is not just a heart thing. It's not just a feeling. It's a hand thing. It's a, it, and when you and I, as Christ followers, when we feel compassion, know this, it is a call to action. Because if you feel compassionate, but you don't act compassionately, you're not compassionate. So, th- I mean, it's kind of like today it's become popular to, uh, to wear workout clothes without having any intention of actually working out, <laughs> right? So much so that they, it started a new industry that's called athleisure. It is a $70 billion industry today. Why? 
because people like to wear running shoes and running clothes without having to run, right? It's just, it's like, there's something about it that wearing working clothes, it makes me feel like I've done something when I haven't. That's what compassion is if it's just a feeling. It, It can make you feel like you've done something when you haven't. Real compassion doesn't just break your heart. Real compassion moves your muscles. And that's what this guy did. He moved into action. And you know, when you see it, uh, Jesus, whenever it says in scripture, Jesus felt compassion, read it, study it. He always did something because of the compassion. It was the end. He felt compassion and, and we're going to study that in one of the group studies that's coming, the power of the and. But so this is what he does. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Now, hang on just a second, because he goes over and he, he smoothed, uh, he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. That sounds more like a salad dressing, doesn't it? But, but here's the thing. It's what he had. He wasn't a doctor. He didn't have a medical bag. He, he, he had lunch. And he's going to try his best with what he has. And it said, and he bandaged them up. Now, remember something. This guy was stripped naked. Where did he get the bandages? From his own clothes. He took the clothes off his back, tore them, and bandaged this broken, bleeding man. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. He, he had a donkey. He was riding. He was going to get there a lot faster and a lot more comfortably. But you know what? Can you imagine what it was like to pick this guy up and get him on the donkey? I mean, that's probably the biggest lesson for us in the whole Good Samaritan. Get off your donkey and serve someone. <laughs> that, that's... That's what we're called to do, man. That's, if we would just get off dead center. I'm not talking about, this, this isn't something massive, life-changing, altering. No, no. It's just an, the way I live my day. I see a need. I'm going to do the best I can with what I have because that's the Jesus way. And so he takes this initiative. He seizes the moment. He does what he can. And then, uh, and then he goes back. Then it uh, continues to go on. Where he took care of him. And then the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. He says, I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to keep on. There was nothing that this guy gained for doing this. But then, uh, and, and then he comes back after he tells the story, he comes back to the religious expert, Right. And then in verse 36, he says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And then the man, I love his reply. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. He, he couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan, right? He didn't even want to vocalize that. It was the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. He said, that's it. Now go and do the same. That is Jesus' message to us. He's saying the same thing. Now go and do the same. God has placed people in the proximity of your world who need you. 
Are you going to see it and run avoidance, not even break a stride? Are you going to stare but don't stop and walk on by? Or are you going to let your heart break and let your hands move and do what you can with what you have to make a difference in somebody's life? It will change the way you live. And, you know, when you look at the parable, you think, you know, we typically say, oh, who am I? Where do I, who do I identify with most? And, well, actually, this isn't a parable about um, just being nice to other people. This is a parable of the gospel. Because in the parable, Jesus was the good Samaritan. Think about it. He's the one who, who chose to come down to our path of destruction where we were in a ditch and bleeding out. He's the one that didn't walk by or step over us, but got down, was moved with compassion, his heart broke. And, and he looked at the situation and said, this is going to cost. And he went to a cross and he paid for the sin of all mankind. And, and not only that, but after that, he opened up an account in his name with God the Father. And he said, listen, if they need more forgiveness and more grace, charge it to my account. That's, that's the kind of God that we serve. That's, you, and you might be here today and realize, you know what, I've never started a relationship with Jesus. I thought it was like a church thing. No, no, it, it's, a, it's a relationship. And God says, I love you. You matter to me. Follow me. I'm going to lead you to life. And you can make that decision today right where you sit. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you say, I want to begin that relationship with Jesus, tell him that. You could pray this prayer not out loud, but between you and God. And you could say, dear Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me to give me forgiveness for my past and my sin, but to give me the hope of heaven and a life lived to the fullest today. Jesus, I choose to follow you. Lead on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Church at the Springs podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you're in the area, join us on Sundays. For times and locations, visit thesprings.net. And again, thank you for listening to the Church at the Springs podcast.